those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome, everybody. This is Room Tone, the radio show. I'm Ruggiero, your host, and here we are broadcasting live on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM, talking movies because we love it. This is the show that takes filmmaking community to your ears, and today, a couple of very interesting film personalities over here. So everybody, raise your hands for Erin Masalam and Stephen Kammerer. All right. How are you guys doing today? Well, thank you. Right doing, on. Doing very well. Thanks a lot. Amazing. All right. Let's head dive right into it. Why are you guys here? What's happening? Well, um, as mentioned, my name is Erin Masalam. I am the co-executive director of Crazy Eights Film Society here in Vancouver and also the director of programming. Steven, how about you? What's going on? What's going on? Uh, I'm uh, one of the team members of uh, in, on Team Ada. We're one of the six films and I'm the writer-director. Amazing. So today we talk Crazy Eights. Now, if you haven't heard about Crazy Eights, holy moly, you got to hear this out. This is quite something. Erin, why don't you tell us a little bit of what Crazy Eights is and what it means for the film community here in Vancouver? Yeah, I won't give you this speech that's always written down everywhere, but Crazy Eights is basically like an intense eight days of film programming where we, um, as a bunch of jurors and a lot of other people, decide on what six films are going to be shot in eight days. These teams then run out with a whole bunch of amazing uh, sponsorship opportunities from our uh, community and shoot for three days and post for five. And then we show them sight unseen to our gala on February 23rd. So it is a run and gun, amazing, intense eight days of filmmaking. Amazing. So February 23rd, we have the gala, right? Okay. We do. So that seems like a little bit like a tradition, you know, here in Vancouver, you know, it's it seems like it's the ultimate launching event that launches filmmakers and, and, you know, uh, really brings film lovers together to celebrate the craft, you know. Steven, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about being part of Crazy Eights? (laughs) Oh, it's an amazing opportunity. It's, yeah, I mean... Um, I'd like to take this as far as it can go, and uh, I am, uh, I'm pretty green as a director, been in the film industry for a while, but uh, I've gathered lots of experience from every department, and it's all coming together now, and uh, I'm loving it. Amazing. Well, uh, passion, it's, it's uh, many what, it's, what it is all about, you know, and I feel like Crazy Eights, it's, it's filled with that, you know, and, and seeing uh, six teams. Am I correct, Erin? Six teams. Six teams coming together to make these films happen, you know, and I've seen some amazing films coming out of Crazy Eights, you know? They are, you know, and a lot of our films are, they go on to win great awards, a lot of different festivals around the world, not just uh, locally here in the West Coast, but they actually travel quite far. So, uh, you know, they have a long lifespan um, and they have the community support already built in, so you don't actually have to generate that community support when the film is launched. Amazing. Well, doesn't that sound like heaven, huh? <laughs> Steven, how do you, what do you see happen in the, in the gala? I want to hear from you, you know, after working for so long on the idea and on the film. First of all, what is the film about? Uh, the film is about the world's first computer programmer. That's Ada Byron Lovelace. 
and uh, she fights hard to you know create. A, she writes an algorithm for a computer that doesn't exist, won't for a hundred years, and she. Uh, well, you'll see what what happens in the end. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so uh, the name of the film is Ada, right? Ada. Yes. Ada. All right, sounds good. Everybody, eyes open for Ada uh, screening at the Gala on February twenty third. But let me go back uh, to you, Stephen, because I want to ask you, why did you want to step into the film industry in the first place? Oh, well, um, I have, a, I have a, 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 such a diverse background, and I think everything just kind of led in that direction. I was in academia for a long time, teaching history, philosophy, literature, all the humanities and things like that. Um, and then I fled academia, and I went into mineral exploration. So I was in the mountains of the Yukon for three years. I was in the fishing industry, fishing north of Haida Gwaii on, on a trawler. And, uh, and you know, and I've, I've just, uh, I have all this, these diverse parts. I got used to the gig economy in fishing and in mineral exploration and then when I got back to Vancouver and I, I want to stay put here and I realized that film is the way to go it's kind of it's that three months of hard work then take off then a new project and I had gotten used to that and I just slipped right into that lifestyle wow that's a great <laughs> wrapper right there there's quite some stories in there you should probably that's one of the lifetimes you want to write a book about that's uh, so pin that <laughs> thought in there pin that thought um, but Erin what about you what about you? Yeah, my my career started, actually, I never went to film school either. I um, really wanted to work in the film industry, so I volunteered on a couple of really low-budget feature. One was a feature, one was a couple of music videos, and quickly realized that I don't want to work on set. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what are the other roles that um, I really felt like I was more you know inclined to be? And producer came about. So I actually just started volunteering at a documentary production company in town, and I made myself indispensable, and they said, you know, photocopy a contract, and I would photocopy too and I would take it home and I would read it and read it and read it and I basically learned that way and then I met up with another producer at the time and we started our own production company and that was about successful for about 10 years we uh, closed it with money in the bank which is uh, pretty unbelievable but we did quite well with our documentaries that we did and we're mostly focused on social issue and entertainment Mm-hmm. That's another great story right there. It feels like uh, uh, we have a very, very bright and saturated personalities over here. And that being said, I want to ask you, where do you both see yourselves in five years from now? You know, it's an interesting question. I'm glad you asked it because being on the sets for the last six movies um, that we produced here, so as executive pr uh, directors, we're also executive producers. So we have the amazing benefit to be able to go to every single set over the course of the three days that they're being um, produced. And uh, I was able to see firsthand uh, six different director approaches and uh, six different sets and six different ways that uh, producers were handling things and directors were you know, doing their creative. And I'm like, you know what? I think it, it might be time to find the right project for me to direct it's a it's a scary endeavor because as a producer you are a control freak let's just be honest and to give it up and let other people have the reins as so that you can focus on something creative is a big risk for me mentally so we'll see I'm I'm excited I've got a few irons in the fire I have a couple of features that I'm dabbling with writing so this year I kind of decided to just go and see what would happen uh, in terms of um, my own personal creative journeys and creating Crazy Eights is one of those in this position, so we'll see. I Amazing, don't know. Mm -hmm. wonderful. All right, and, and and Stephen, how about you? Five years from now, I know it's a lot, but well, I do. I have to say the the writer director bug has has bitten hard, and uh, I would love to be um, still exploring this whole period genre aspect of filmmaking. I think that's one of my real talents is to tease out the little unusual quirky stories from the past. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in uh, truth is stranger than fiction. 
not, but I'm not opposed to sci-fi genres and thrillers and things like that. But uh, I would, I hope I'm still doing exactly this in five years from now. Amazing. Well, it's it's. Uh, I can I can feel the passion uh, all over here, and uh, and and I guess what it goes really back to what Crazy Eight sees as well. You know, mm-hmm. that passion really bringing everybody together. And 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 with that, I really want to ask you how you guys and the team behind Crazy Eight's plan for what's happening in on February twenty third. Like it seems like a whole year round program, you know, and, and, and plan that just uh, you know comes together yeah. on the on the 23rd I mean it's it's twofold you'll see the stress of the the six filmmaking teams for sure that's a very tangible thing to see but what <laughs> you're not seeing is the six months or so of prep for our team leading up to it so we're responsible at the end of the day for all six films for choosing all or helping to choose all six films for the educational component because we have mentoring support as well we organize script professional script editors to work with um, you know Steve Steve short, uh, short as well as the other five so there's a lot of organization there is a ton of planning I have a team of incredibly dedicated people that you know are have huge indie hearts that work exceptionally hard to make this happen and it's not a full-time gig for anybody it's I think an eight I think yeah an eight uh, kind of off the side of your desk but it, it consumes your world at the same time so we all do all of this basically what's happening right now in the course of the of crazy eight's life is that Teams like Steve are posting and doing sound mix. We're planning a gala, so we're going to be hosting 1,800 people on February 23rd, including an after party at Science World, getting tickets organized, you know, getting entertainment organized, getting hosts secured, getting scripts written, you know, all, and then, a, you know, a, a, obviously a sponsorship re- uh, reception party to say thank you to our sponsors. So there is a heap of work that happens um, behind the scenes that... Uh, I am just one person in that cog. Yeah, so it's huge. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then three months right before the event is when the doors open and the pitching begins, right? Yes, absolutely. We take uh, usually registrations start in September, and then we usually get about over 200 pitches, and then wow. we have to nail that down to six. And that process is done through uh, video pitches. So we have a jury for that. We have an in-person uh, pitch jury as well. And then we narrow that down to about 12 scripts who then go out and actually write a first draft, and then we read them all very carefully and then narrow it down to six after that and it's an incredibly difficult process we rally we fight we try to strongly get our opinions across about what uh, six films that we want to end up on and this year we ended up on six wonderful ones obviously steve's was ada we have the mirror another one called idols never die uncapped parabola and hatch and i've seen the locked picks on all of these and they're going to be brilliant amazing steven how was the pitching process for you well, it's it's long and rigorous, uh, <laughs> and um, but it really, I mean, that's that's what really gets you to hone your story down, down and down, because um, you're uh, that competition aspect of it is like really kicks your ass, gets your act together. Mm-hmm. If you ever been dreaming of like this is I want to make this, but it stays kind of fuzzy for a while. Well, this is the way to get it all together, and uh, yeah, I think. Uh, it was actually kind of once you get in front of that room full of people and, and, and luminaries of the independent film world all around a table staring at you. Well, I, I tried to relax. And I think I guess I did, I did a pretty good job. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is definitely daunting for people. What we love to see, and I think it's an encouragement to everybody who wants to apply for Crazy Aids or a short film competition in the future, is that it does kick you from making that idea as like, I should, to I did. Even if it's just in the pitch stage, so you have that to be able to pitch out to the rest of, you know, whatever, if you're not successful in this area, you can re-pitch it. And so I, I think a lot of people are like, thank you. I actually got the words on paper versus the words in my head and made something happen. Nice. That seems like uh, really that process of visualization, you know? It seems like the pitching is. process is also designed to help the filmmakers come with a clearer image and a clearer vision. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I've, uh, really, again, I've, I've come to see amazing films from, from Crazy Eights, and one of those, actually, I really want to mention uh, Cypher. Oh, yeah. Lawrence the Lamb. Lawrence yeah, Lamb. Yeah, big yeah, shout yeah, out yeah. right there. Great movie, very powerful. I feel like uh, uh, this process, you know, uh, when it embraces filmmakers that really have an inclination and a story to tell, it really brings so much beauty yeah. to life. Yeah. Well, know? Lawrence is actually attached to another project that we have, Idols Never Die, being directed by Jerome Yu. So that he's definitely going to be, he's been hap- helping uh, that first-time director uh, on Crazy Eights uh, do some incredible work. So. Wow. It, well, it seems like February third, twenty third, is going to be incredible. Lots of uh, lots of people, mm. lots of uh, lots of cinema, lots of passion going on in there. Yeah, it's our twentieth anniversary too. So Crazy Eights is actually been functioning for 20 years which blows my mind away when if you take a look at the size of the budget that we have which is I cannot believe how small it is for what we do but it's a huge tribute to all of this community sponsors that have rallied behind this initiative for 20 years like you know post-production facilities to gear houses to like script editors to just throwing talent and um, facilities and gear at these filmmakers to make it happen that we wouldn't be able to do it otherwise and it's mm-hmm. um you know, having run a few different film programs, um, there's something special about Crazy Eights as much as it's harrowing and, you know, people feel like they're kind of half dead by the gala. Um, they just, there's so much support and so much riding on it for the success of these directors and producing teams that it's, it's very special. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's really what brings the community together, you know? That's when people come together, you know, under the umbrella of the film community. Mm-hmm. So Crazy Eights, really, like many other events and, and, you know, organizations out there, really reinforces and works a little bit also as a pivotal point yeah. sometimes, you know? The independent film community is alive and well in Vancouver, and I have never seen it as sparkly as I have being seeing the work in Crazy Eights. This community, Vancouver, is a hub for creatives that will go out without any finances and make their project successful and it's inspiring like I mean I've been the I've been I'm not going to tell you how old I am but I'm in the industry for at least 20 years and I'm again inspired by seeing the work that these people are putting in so it's great for me wonderful let me ask to the both of you now Stephen and then I'd like to hear from you as well what makes a film project successful you're asking me that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I want to start off by saying the collaborative uh, nature of this 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 art form, uh, and it's one of the things that drew me to it. I I love I I think I'm good at working with other people, uh, and um, and and all. So, it, but film has this strange mixture of this sort of rigid hierarchical military system, and yet it's so collaborative and just. Finding the right the spot there to mix those two things, to get it done, uh, and yet to have, you know, everybody else is making that movie. Once you get to the stage of actually filming as a director, you're kind of like the conductor of the orchestra, right? Or the, you're the keeper of the story. But everybody else is making that damn movie for you. And I love that aspect of it. 
Interesting. How about you, Erin? What, what makes a film successful to you? For me, it's one word, and that's story. Mm. A film cannot be successful without a story. Um, you can have, you know, a gazillion dollars, and if the story is not there, no one's going to watch it. Box offices will, will tank. Where you can take a tiny little short that has all the right beats, all the right stories, all the right beginning, middle, and end, all those nuances, and that can be like life-altering when you watch something like that. So when I look and see pitches come in or when I have to decide on a project, my big thing is what's the story? What's the story? And, and, and that is a hard question. I was asked that by a broadcaster when I was in the middle of a pitch once and uh, she said, what's the story? And I stopped dead because I didn't know my story. And I was like, I went to, had to go back to the drawing board and re-pitch. Um, I had an idea, I had a concept, I had a cool idea in my head, I had maybe a scene, but I definitely didn't have a beginning, middle, and end. And that takes a long time to get to that point. Interesting. Seems like uh, it, storytelling in a way is uh, the mathematics of emotions. There are specific okay. cues, yeah. specific uh, dynamics to respect, and it's a little bit of a dance, you know, yeah. with feelings and, and, and textures. Now, you both have pitched, so it feels like I have two pitchers right here. We're going to get to talk uh, and, and actually have you guys pitch later after the break <laughs> for the one minute pitch that we always do here at Room Tone. But um, I want to ask you, what makes a successful pitch? You know, hearing from both of you guys, um, what makes a successful pitch? Um, I've pitched a couple of situations. I pitched at Banff. We did a live pitch once years ago, and uh, it was a, a we got actually it ended up being a million dollar feature. Believe it or not, it ended up coming out of that. It was called Mock Stars, and uh, we had a three minute timed pitch in front of 500 of the world's broadcasters. And of course, you know, going into it, I think I was maybe 26 at the time, rattling in my boots. And we just my business partner and I at the time just sat there and we go like, what is the most important thing? And uh, Mock Stars was about uh, seven entertainment impersonators, you know, playing the stages um, around Canada and the world. So we had Neil, Nearly Neil, we had Fraud Stewart, we had Shania Twin, like all these great head names. And we just said, you know, imitation is a serious form of flattery, and sometimes you have to see it in order to believe it. So we actually customized our pitch and brought in Fraud Stewart and Nearly Neil live in to join us as part of our pitch. It was the most terrifying three minutes of my life. I don't think I'll ever get them back. But for us, it was like we need to get it conveyed to the audience that this is what they are. You know, and not everybody can afford to bring in live pitchers, but it is, it's still the same concept. You have to get it in a visual sense into the mind of the people you're pitching to. Mm-hmm. You really got to bring that thought within their, their, their realm in a way. You, you have to take them into the story you want to do, and that has to be done in a visual way. Visual yeah, way. Yeah, if you, oh, okay. yeah, a visual or an audio way. Because we're visual, that's what we want to watch. If you start throwing anecdotal stuff or story that isn't visual, everyone's lost. Interesting. Do you agree, Stephen? Oh, yes. Yeah. It, um, uh, visuals and, and the music together um, combined and, and, uh, and the text of the dialogue. They, they, they all, those three elements have to really come together in a harmony, in a dance. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and, uh, you and know, one more thing. Oh, passion. Shoot it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in front of that, <laughs> you, to the answer to your question is when you're standing in front of that jury, they better see your passion for this project because you're bringing so many people and so much. And in, with Crazy Eight's volunteer time and uh, resources. And if you're not passionate about your story, like what, what are you all doing there, right? Mm -hmm. you got to bring that. Yeah. You have to be able to, when you're pushed against, like, why should you tell this story, you can immediately, I can tell the story because this is why. And 
keep rapid firing back of every ways reason why you should do this show. Mm-hmm. So it's also mainly about the how and why. And that's mm-hmm. usually what moves people. Is that what moved you when watching and looking at the pitches at Crazy Eights? Yeah, I mean, you know, there were some pitches we I wa- watched, actually cried in. They unfortunately didn't make the um, the last cut of six, but there's it's powerful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, looking at the the lineup of six that we produced this year, they all have an emotional uh, connection to them. There's always um, a payoff emotionally for the viewer. It's just not like fun pictures. You know, you actually really care about the story. And, and I think a good director will bring out why I care. You know, the whole time when I'm watching cuts, I'll ask myself, do I care? Do I care yet? Do I care yet? Do I care yet? And then you got to get to the point, killing off some of the, your best scenes to get to that point of like, I, I care now. And that was the, I mean, that was the, in the forefront of our thoughts all the way through this mm-hmm. project. Um, and it's the most difficult thing to do in the short format, whether it's short stories uh, or, or any kind of short form. How do you get in there and, may, and, may, and create that bond with the audience fast? It's the most difficult thing in the short form mm-hmm. and what we're all going for. And we've seen that over the course of watching the, the locked cuts. Every single director has struggled with wanting to cut the scenes that they know in their head they loved and wrote in from the very beginning. Then they have this great idea and they have to be able to be like, no, nope, I have to cut it. I got to cut it. And we and we struggle with them because we also see the value of those scenes in terms of how they're shot and aesthetically how they're presented. But they might not be the best for the story. Interesting. Of course, there is a lot there. There's a lot of uh, a lot of juice in there, and uh, you know, there is a lot of interesting uh, information also about what pitching is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to, of course, head dive deeper into it because it's a huge, huge yeah. topic. Um, but let me moonwalk towards another direction, and let me ask you about your guys' artistic background. Mm-hmm. Well, (laughs) please please go ahead first. Uh, um, (laughs) I'm thinking about this a little bit. I need to think about it. I mean, I guess as a director, when I have my director hat on, I'm always seeing visuals. Um, For me, I I don't really pattern any of my directing after a certain director, let's say. You know, some people are like, oh, I, you know, have Scorsese in this or whatever. For me, it's just visuals and how I see I want the story to play out. I'm a less is more girl for the most part, as much as I love like Boz Lerman, he's one of my favorite directors. The idea, the practical side, the producing side of the other side of my brain is like, that's way too much <laughs> mm-hmm. to handle in terms of setup. So I've always been um, primarily, you know, in my documentary work, uh, I guess nuance, you know. We did a documentary on virginity and finding modern day virgins and we couldn't afford to buy clips and everything that would make this show because the budget was so cheap. So we actually just constructed these gigantic red V's and we would put them in the foreground and the background of our interviews as this sort of like elephant in the room. So things like that I find fun to work with when you have a limited amount of budget that are easy and I don't have to have 50 people on set. It's always about finding that, uh, that angle that, uh, yeah. that gives you the chance to create something, a motif or something that really stands out yeah. without having to spend much money on it. A little subtlety. Yeah, exactly. And that's just because, partly because I haven't had the luxury of time or huge budgets for some of the things I've done. And so it's like, how can we, how can we make this as creative as possible with what we're given? Mm-hmm. What about you, Stephen? What's your artistic background? <laughs> well, well, just like my, the other parts of my career, that is, that is equally hodgepodgey. And I've been involved, <laughs> I think, in all the arts in various ways. Uh, I can even remember I had, I had some oil paintings where I thought, oh, I'm a painter. 
painter, but no, I am, I am not a painter. Uh, and I, I am, I still play piano, uh, so I've always kept that up. I have a few compositions, you know, and so I just kind of make the rounds, and I, uh, is it, uh, and I love, I love all the arts. And uh, filmmaking, I think, the way that brings them all together, I think, is, is just, uh, it's why I'm here now, because of that hodgepodge background. Bringing everything together. Do you play music here? I do, actually. My uh, career trajectory was supposed to be piano and violin. I was accepted into UWO for a double major in piano and violin. And then I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> so wow. I gave it up. So yes, my mom's a piano teacher, so I uh, was like learned how to play piano at a very young age, and then violin came pretty easy after We've that. We've got some amazing musicians here in the room. Wow. Duets. Wow, very Talk neat. Well, that being said, why not uh, uh, take a break and fade into some of the most amazing music uh, that was paired with uh, with cinema, you know? For all the history of cinema, I feel like the soundtrack of Cinema Paradiso is probably one of the most iconic. Excellent. And uh, this is the soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. So everybody enjoy. This is the soundtrack of Cinema Paradiso. Welcome back, everybody. This is Room Tone, the radio show. Here we are, listening to the beautiful soundtrack of Cinema Paradiso by Ennio Morricone. We talk movies because we love it over here, and today we're talking about one of the most pivotal events here in Vancouver about film, and it's Crazy Eights. So, Erin and Steven, uh, let's do it. How are you guys doing? Uh, welcome back from the break. 
Mm-hmm. Feeling good? We are. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, you, it's a you countdown. You pump us up, Roger. Yeah. You, you get us <laughs> energized. <laughs> well, here we are. We do it. It's it's a passion, and it's so beautiful to stand here and talk with you guys about the film industry and the film uh, community here in Vancouver, and you know, and how it expands into Canada. And with that, I want to ask you: Where do you see Vancouver standing in the worldwide film community? Well, right now we do a lot of our production going down to the south. So if you were to like check in with the CMPA, who which is the Canadian Media Production Association, you'll be able to kind of get their their spotlight on how BC talent is right now. So unfortunately, a lot of the production not unfortunately because it brings a lot of jobs in, but uh, in like I guess homegrown production is low because of you know the financing that we have and the models that we have it's you know thankfully there are wonderful funding agencies out there that give us money but i would personally like to see vancouver employing way more or production companies employing way more vancouver creatives um sometimes a big production will come up here and hire you know all of the BC uh, labor, but they won't be hiring BC creative talent such as directors. And so I would like to see that change. There's an incredible amount of directors here that need the spotlight. Um, And that just takes relationship building uh, south of the border and trust, obviously, you know, if you want to trust somebody with your huge, massive, you know, CW series, uh, you need to be able to to have that relationship trust. So I think building those relationships is going to be huge. It's going to be pivotal. It'll be like people like Steve and the other filmmakers that we have will be able to not just use the short and keep doing shorts, but be able to climb up that ladder and get those directing gigs. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Steve? And where do you see Vancouver in the worldwide film community? <laughs> Well, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's, it's growing stronger all the time. And we have, we're in a very unique position because of the size of the, the, of the industry here, the American industry. And most local filmmakers here you know, work part-time or full-time in that industry. And uh, there are some people who only do the local scene, but uh, largely there's this sort of bleed and cross, cross-pollination. In a way, they're so disjointed, like the, there's the union side and, the, and then the indie side. But, um, but it's, a, it's an event like Crazy Eights that really will bring that mix together big time. Like we, there's so many people with huge experience who are coming into your departments. And they're on these shows like Man in the High Castle. And you've got the gaffer from that show on your little indie. It's a, and that's incredible. So that, that, that mix is so, so fruitful. So we've got to keep so. building bridges as Vancouver has. We've got to keep building bridges and, and outreach. And do you feel this is a really interesting topic uh, for me because I feel like the funding that, that is here in Vancouver somehow um, it seems to be very much directed to Canadian mm-hmm. people. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about this since cities like Vancouver also are so uh, dynamic and there are so many layers mm-hmm. to it, right? So I've been a producer in this industry for uh, 20 years. And so to be able to get funding for your film, you do really have to be, in some cases, a BC resident and a Canadian citizen or a Canadian citizen. And then, of course, you're competing with your project across the rest of Canada if it's a federal fund. So. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we don't really fund non-Canadians in a way unless you're, you know, in, you're settled up with a Canadian. Now, we're seeing a lot on Crazy Aids. Um, uh, Idols Never Die, I believe the entire cast is Korean and uh, maybe a couple of them might be BC resident. Um, so, and we're seeing a lot in, in the short world, in the short film world, um, a lot of people using non-Canadian residents uh, because they can, uh, because the, they don't need to require the big budgets of some shows. So... 
I think what I love about seeing the diversity of projects is because in the sh in the independent world, people don't really play by the rules. They don't have to play by the big the big funding rules. So they get the opportunity to hire and then tell whatever stories they want. Mm -hmm. So that gives a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom is a big word when it comes to filmmaking. And many times the game of filmmaking is a game of compromise. Steven. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? How is that game for you? The game of compromise. Um, oh yeah, I mean, you have to learn to love that huge creative push and pull that comes at you from every direction. And you gotta just, you just, you just go with it. And you, you push back and then, then sometimes you gotta give and you're making those, uh, the, the tense part is you're making huge decisions like in a matter of moments, especially in this format where we've got three days to shoot and people are saying, is this scene staying or not? And you're, it's, it's 12 a.m. in the morning. And like, does this scene stay or not? I need to sleep on this. And like, no, you can't sleep on this. We want to know now. Um, <laughs> that's part of the excitement of this yeah. event. And you got to learn to make those. Uh, and I'm not a fast decision maker. I want to I wanna mull things over. There's no mulling sometimes. And you gotta, you gotta learn to trust your gut and say, and you learn to f know when you need to fight for your vision and when you know to like not to die on that particular hill. Get away from that hill, die over here if you have to. So when, when do you know <laughs> when to die for your vision or compromise? Um, well, it's, uh, I trust my guts uh, and, the, and, the, and the other people. I think I've gathered a group of people around where I really trust their instincts and I would like trust them more than anybody else in the world. And I've got a little group around me and, and you know and if their guts are saying what my guts are then then that's the thing to do and 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 I also we have a that that jury that we had there I mean their instincts are true too you know and and they gave us notes right from the beginning and I've I've had to fight for the vision of this by going back to those notes and like no this is what the jury said and I I believe them and I need to stick to 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 that vision of this particular film it's not this other film it's this one and I think the jury knows it and, and I, loved, I, lo I loved them for it, that they were backing me too. And to complicate matters worse for these poor filmmakers, <laughs> we have a full you know, crazy ex executive team that watches the rough cuts, fine cuts, and almost lock pictures of these guys and give notes. So uh -huh. imagine you know, it's midnight, you're exhausted, you haven't slept for four <laughs> days, and then all of a sudden you get completely different notes from, I don't know, from my camp, let's say, at 12.30 in the morning. You know, so we're all working to the betterment of these films. And it's very difficult for these directors to be like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, I just spent six hours working on that scene. And now the notes coming from above and what I'm hearing in the room is to cut it. And that is a that's a really hard thing. We, we have a phrase called killing your babies, which isn't a great phrase when I think about it. But you do have to kill off those things that you were married to that aren't necessarily helping the film. And getting those notes can come in, and it can feel like you're being hit by a truck. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's that's, that's totally. uh, killing the baby is definitely something that I feel every director goes through sometimes. Um, yeah. And it, and then you have to weigh: are those babies like central to the core vision? What is that core vision that you're protecting all the time and fighting for? And they're like, oh, they might be right. This vision is stronger without that particular baby. Of course. How did Let you get go. to? How did you get <laughs> to sculpt your vision? How did you encapsulate that story? 
Uh, that was a long process um, uh, coming to Ada. We really starting back last summer, so that's like six or six months ago. Uh, there are there are six full length biographies of Ada, and I read five of those six in the summer, and uh, and I had to think a lot about because she has this huge life. You know, it's a life. It's a it's a Bio- long biography, very interesting. So I was just looking the whole time. Where, where's that pivotal point? What's the pivotal moment? What do I need to grab onto? And I had to get deep into the correspondence and letters. And like, ah, there's these little things that I can put into a, you know, a 12 minute film or 15 minute film, um, and uh, I don't have to tell her whole life. That's the moment. I finally found that moment in sometime in mid August, and like, and I seized on it and like just held on. I've held on to it and held that bit ever since and ran with it. Beautiful. Oh, man, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> it seems like uh, Ada is, uh, uh, is really exploring uh, something we need to see, right? What would people have to learn from Ada? What is the, 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 the really the core, the substance of that story? Where does it go back to? <laughs> um, For you, at least. It's, uh, I, I think central to it is how to persevere against uh, against great odds in your vision even to the bitter end when when all the all your outlets to getting your life's work and uh, putting meaning into your life everybody's abandoned you the world doesn't care and you need to find out why why you're, you're still going to do that despite all that so even if it doesn't have a happy ending at, in your lifetime you keep doing that you keep working on your craft even when everybody's abandoned you and, and, and I think Ada found that I want to find that in her in this film Amazing. Give me a high five in the booth, man. Come on. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Great words from Stephen Kamara right there. We're talking crazy eights over here. Wow. We get some daily inspiration for the film community happening over here. Erin, how about you? How, wh- wh- what's your take when it comes to dreams, you know? Wanting to, ach- willing to achieve something, you know? Yeah, you know, I think that you have to... Dreams are a kind of a funny thing because you know you start off in your in your career and it's like I'm going to be this and this is what's going to happen and then sometimes it doesn't actually always happen. You might hit a low, you might hit a valley in that creative endeavors where it's like you know what I need to get a job. I'd love to be an independent filmmaker, but I just need a job and I need benefits and I need dental and I need whatever. And so you make a choice, you make a compromise. And I and I, I used to look at that as a negative thing. And I think sometimes you you have to look at those. It's not so much of a compromise as it's a rebuild. It's like I need to take care of me before I can be a creative me, you know. And so my journey has been that, like heaps of creative and then some time to just regroup and rebuild and then a creative vision again and then a dip to rebuild. And so I think if I can impart any wisdom at all, it's that this is your life and you'll never make a mistake. You know, it might just be a weird journey and every choice that you have is the choice that you're made for that moment in time. And so, you know, so I think some people can get really frustrated with themselves going like, look at all these amazing projects that Crazy Eats is doing this year and what have I done with my life? You're just in your just different journey and it's okay and you'll get there too, you know. It seems like uh, it goes back to the sentence of trusting the timing of your life. Absolutely. In a way. And I think that's when creative vision happens. Like, you know, you know, example with Steve and some of the other projects that we have, and I don't want to do any spoiler alerts, but people had to go through some pretty dark experiences in order for them to be able to take that in, write it down, and then one day produce it. And you'll see a couple mm. of those shows. And I think this particular Crazy Dates, this 20th anniversary, you're going to see some amazing projects that you know were written and directed and coming from places of some extreme 
extreme emotion that are now out. And you can't have a great show without going through that journey. Wow, that's mm. definitely um, a little bit of a, um, you know, I would say an extremely meaningful journey for all mm-hmm. storytellers out there. You know, somehow you have to be your story before you can tell it, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, don't ever get upset if you're in like you have no story to tell tell because you will you will just wait it out be open to what's around you be open to the stories around you and then you'll get it again you know do you you guys ever feel inspiration is a necessity sometimes sure yeah (laughs) yes absolutely like I, i think you have to feed your soul and how you feed your soul is completely specific uh, to you as a person. So that might mean, you know, throwing yourself into independent film and seeing all the fun colors and how the director has angled the camera and you know all of that. Or it could just be like, I need to go into the woods and hear the birds and just be quiet and small again. And so I think you have to be in tune with what your your creative needs for you to be the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. You have to be in tune with yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. I like it how we yeah. get to explore a little <laughs> bit of these, a bit of uh, humanity and mm-hmm. a little bit of, of life from these angles because movies are life, you know, mm-hmm. filmmaking is life. Many people say, oh man, movies are to escape reality. I actually feel like movies are to explore life, mm-hmm. you know, explore mm-hmm. storytelling, you know, because <laughs> storytelling is life and, and life is so much, you know, we could talk about this for a long yeah. time, but I want to ask you if, uh, if you ever thought about, uh, you know, looking at filmmaking as the ultimate way to tell a story because there are so many ways to tell a story right you could write a novel and it could be more effective in some ways you could probably you know make music and it would be more effective to tell another story but filmmaking is a very uh, you know movies are very particular medium have you ever thought about any other mediums out there and do you think filmmaking is always the best medium to tell a story (laughs) <laughs> I see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'll, I'll side with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Although I love, I love all the arts, and um, it is now. Um, so I, I study classical music, and uh, and I've, I've I've given talks back in academia about opera. And you know, opera used to be called what Wagner called the the, the Gesamtkunstwerk, which means the total work of art it brings all the things together into one. And he saw they used to see that as the pinnacle of of the arts. Um, and filmmaking is now that for the 20th and the 21st century, uh, very much so. And it's really what what drew me here that all my all my different loves come together in one at one moment. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Erin? Yeah, I would say that <laughs> as a visual person, I love to put myself into the pictures, I guess, and, like, and, and fall into that world. Um, at the same time, there's something so fundamental about sometimes just six words on a page in a poem, you know, that you can just look at and read, and it's everything that you could see in two hours and six lines. But speaking for me, most fundamentally yeah I'm a visual person I would way rather watch something than read something and I like to play in the worlds I like to go into other people's worlds that they fashioned for me to go into and I love to be able to create those worlds for other people to go into interesting there is definitely that uh, that respect for the medium of course and and of course we all love it right and uh, there is always this question I'd love to hear from the both of you um, that that basically explores the concept of film as a educational you know uh, somehow a meaningful experience, meaningful emotional experience. And I always ask myself, you know, if a film costs this much, you know, would there be a way that 
those funds or those resources could have been used in a different way to make more of a difference. <laughs> and I always ask myself that. What do you guys think? Right? Isn't that an no, yeah, no. I, 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 like, <laughs> you know? I laugh because I got that once so when I when I received a, a big chunk of money for a feature documentary, and people were like, "Are you kidding me? That could have saved people in Africa, and it could have like bought school books for kids up in the north." And I actually had a moment. I sat there and I went, "Oh my gosh!" Like. I just got a million dollars to make a feature about entertainment impersonators. Is it, did I, was that ethically, morally okay? And I think down the road, you know what, I don't know. I can't just, like, I, I will never know the ramifications or, or how it has inspired uh, other people. But I think it did. Like, I have to just let it go. It's my art form. It was what I was saying. Uh, one of the pivotal moments in our film is we ask Fraud Stewart, you know, when he's performing on stage as Rod Stewart, is this a dream come true? And he says, it's a half a dream come true. <laughs> and so, you know, that moment in time for him, yeah, I was able to give him the limelight that will last a long time and film lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you you put that most eloquently. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that's, that was a mic drop moment, and I'm not going to follow that. Very up. good. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, that being said, that leads us into the final section of this episode, which is the one-minute pitch and the Proust questionnaire. So Ooh. let's head that first into the one-minute pitch. You both have done uh, have done pitching before, <laughs> successfully apparently. So who wants to go first, and uh, what do you guys want to pitch? I'm gonna give it over to Steve because <laughs> his is incredibly important. Uh-oh. Steve, you want to go for it? Okay, I'm gonna hit that clock. Are you ready? Three, uh, two, one. Let's go. Hi, I'm writer-director Stephen Kammerer, and I am pitching the movie called Ada. Ada is a story about the woman who wrote the world's first computer program, a hundred years before computers even existed. Uh, she's fighting hard and losing, really, to, to, to Victorian sexism and other obstacles, um, but she perseveres and finds a kind of reconciliation here at the end of her life. This is a dark and gritty tale of the end of this historical figure's life, a historical figure that was mostly forgotten. Um, And uh, we need to tell that story Uh, today. It's more important than ever. um, It's it's about perseverance against all odds. Uh, When when your friends turn against you, when the industries, when, when the world turns against you, why do you keep on fighting? What is it that makes you go on and keep honing your craft despite all odds? Wow, amazing. And that's one minute right there. Look at that intensity. <laughs> Woo! I don't Perfectly know if I can follow that up. I don't know. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, Erin, it's your shot. Uh, I'm going to hit that clock. Are you ready? I'm going to go for it. And it's three, two, one. Well, uh, Crazy Eights. Uh, this year, it is 20 years since the inception of this program. This program has grown tremendously since, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I believe we were still shooting on film. This is your opportunity to come and support our local film creators, our independent film community, and all of our amazing uh, film industry and funders. This um, Saturday, February the 23rd at our gala screening and after party at Science World. Come and celebrate all of the amazing work that's been done. We're going to be profiling six films. You'll be watching Ada, The Mirror, 
Idols Never Die, Uncapped, Parabola, and Hatch. We guarantee that you will go on an emotional roller coaster from entirely different scenes and entirely different stories made by local filmmakers here, right sitting in the audience with you. Come, enjoy. $35 in advance right now at Brown Paper Tickets, uh, $40 at the door. Come and support independent film. Wonderful, and there was the pitch for Crazy. It's airing. That's amazing. I need another double <laughs> high five. Oh, for both. <laughs> I don't know, man. Let's see what my executive well, <laughs> producer, co said. Well, Did I get it is, all right, Paul? This is uh, this is you guys, uh, seasoned pitchers, now pitching, and that was great to hear and see how how it all happened. Because pitching, in a way, is storytelling. You know, just very very synthetic. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's very interesting because storytelling lies many times over uh, you know the process of sales. You know, you gotta sell your story in, in that. Sell your story in many ways, in many okay, different yeah. ways. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a sale every time. One minute sale. Anyways, now it's time to go to the Proust questionnaire. Oh, <laughs> Proust, que- Proust wrote down thirty-five questions, believing that he would uh, be able to deep dive deep into the personalities and identities <laughs> of the ones who answered. So we're gonna pick five randomly and just go through it, you know, all together. And with that being said, I'm just gonna go for the first question and the first question is what do you consider your greatest achievement you guys go 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 oh my gosh uh my greatest achievement um i suppose it's just having lived a life where i've I've, um, I've, I've accumulated so much diversity in, in my background, whether it's uh, in the fishery industry, mineral exploration, in academia. I, I've just kept on going, switching things and, and absorbing new life experiences and bringing it all together into to trying to be a better, a better human. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right on. Erin, what about you? <laughs> I think uh, managing time and managing relationships. So... Um, you know, keeping keeping what's important in the f- forefront of your mind, I think, is the greatest achievement. So not losing yourself, not losing your family, not losing your friends um, for what you really want to do. And I think it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful. Okay, we're about to go uh, to get into an interesting uh, um, different, different colors here in this conversation. So let me ask you, what is, this is the second question, okay? What is the your most marked characteristic? <laughs> well, my cat on Instagram right now, but um, my most marked characteristic, you know, I don't know. I think I am a ball buster, but I hope I can ball bust with some um, friendliness too. I don't know. Maybe I can ask you about that. <laughs> 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 He's that to do with me, but I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty. You know, That's I get things done. <laughs> I get things done, and I hope I can do that with a little bit of a smile at the end of the day. But yeah. She does that well. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Steven, how about you? Let uh, me know. Let me know. Share it. Come on. Shoot my, it out. My, my most characteristic feature. Oh, my gosh. I guess um, uh, I find I'm a very contemplative person. Probably people used to call me the professor or this and that. I, I seem to. I Yeah, I'll go with that. People mock me for it enough. So why don't I own it? I'm, I'm a thoughtful person. Good. The thoughtful good. person is the ball buster. <laughs> thoughtful is good, you know. Thoughtful is way better than not thoughtful. That's for sure. Now, the balance is, uh, of course, thoughts and emotions. This is a little bit of a side question from the Bruce questionnaire. Where do you see that balance and where do you strike that balance? In, also in, in regards to filmmaking, you know, between the rationality and, you know, in the creative. 
I'll jump in there. I'm a I'm an immediate emotional person first, and I have learned to try to not make that the reason why I decide something. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I can, I allow myself to freak out in the confines of my home where there's nobody there. But I do try to be like, okay, this is, emotion is really important. And I'm not against trying to dumb your emotions down. I think it's a matter of just keeping them in check so they don't control you. But emotions are what are ultimately going to make you be a better filmmaker and be a better creative. So, you know, keep that emotion for the page take it in when it happens in real life and then be thoughtful on how you're going to respond to that in the real life moment but keep it in your in your creative because that's the stuff that makes everything come alive if you start to milk that down your film will or your project whatever you do is just going to be bleh. <laughs> and I'm certainly a romantic at heart. Um, it, actually, it's one of the things that drew me to Ada because she had that. Actually, this she was uh, she's the daughter of Lord Byron. Let's put that out there. And she was born as a celebrity baby. These this is a group of people who invented modern celebrity. They created the world we live in. Byron in his way and his daughter in you know brought us the computer age really. And she struggled with that. Where her mother tried to keep her away from following the Byronic path. It's actually called the Byronic Byronic romanticism and she drummed into her that's why she's a mathematic he drummed it she was trying to make her a logical thinking person keep her away from the poetry or she'll go mad like her father and yet she that burst out of her in the end she's and she struggled against that upbringing and she she called it her her poetical mathematics her romantic mathematics i mean she tried to combine the, those two sides of her nature i find that fascinating about her mm -hmm. romantic mathematics that's uh, mm -hmm. that's quite something definitely a world <laughs> to explore yeah 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 <laughs> well that that leads us to the next question of the proust questionnaire let me ask, this is a tough question, but uh, I'd love to ask it. Who are your heroes in real life? My mom <laughs> and my dad. I mean, come on. Like, my parents have been so supportive since the day I started into this crazy business. Uh, they're, the, they're the people I call in the midst of my dark hours. Um, they're the ones that are there 110%. So, yeah, 110% mom and dad. I'm so fortunate. And big shout out, them. big shout out, big they, shout out to all parents out there, parents. to my family listening now. So, big shout out because, uh, you know, they gave yeah. us the gift of life in the first place. Exactly, so, nothing yeah. more spre more precious yeah. than that. For exactly. Sure. Uh, Steven. I'll shout out to my parents, too. They're not, neither of them are with me, uh, with us anymore. And uh, I lost both. And uh, But I think about them all the time. And they are, they're, they're, their presence is still there. I think about them a lot. Good. It's uh, keep them close, you know. I'm keeping them close. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like um, uh, the the feeling that we have and our relationship to the concept of home is probably one of the most important things to celebrate mm -hmm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. It's great to have this moment and really appreciate, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's very neat. And yeah. thank you for sharing yeah. that, you guys. Mm -hmm. That's that 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 means mm -hmm. a lot. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Right on. Fourth question of the Proust questionnaire. Okay. Ooh, where do we go over here? Where do we go over here? Let's go. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, I think, oh gosh, what do I, I say all the time? Are... What do I say all the time? I'm trying to think of what, maybe I say this all the time. Um, I, I say, I used to say, well, clearly a lot because people made fun of me for that. But, and I, then I became self-conscious about it and I, I don't think I say it anymore. 
I like saying technically speaking because technically speaking. I can see you there. I can see you there for sure. Right now, I'm saying it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's just going to. It's going to be okay to the gala. It's going to be okay to the gala. So yeah, I think I have phrases depending on my stress level. The other ones I can say on the mic. Yeah. Right on. Last question of the Proust questionnaire. What is your idea of perfect happiness? balance 110% balance and it is something I struggle with all the time when when you get into you know stress and create creation and pressure and you start to cave off the things that I think are important to daily life and that's like noticing the birds the trees eating vegetables (laughs) getting sleep (laughs) calling the people that are important in your life and when those start to get, when your foundation starts to quiver, I think that's when you can start to go into really bad places. So I have been really front of mind and mindful of balance in the last year of being able to be like, what's my center? No one's going to die. It's going to be okay. It's just a film. It's just six films, just six films in a gala, just six films in an after party. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But yeah, I like keeping that balance. Balance, beautiful. I had to think for a while when I and I realized that uh, years ago, and not that long ago, but uh, when I was up in the mountains of the Yukon looking for gold and silver for those three seasons, there were moments when I was on up on mountaintops. It's probably the mountain air that affecting me in some ways, but I, I was overcome with a sense of euphoria that uh, I had never experienced. And well, I, I get it again when I'm in the zone of creativity and you have that focus that Aaron was just talking about. So that's that's it again. But that just absolute silence when. When civilization is just like when you're up there on a mountaintop in the, in the Arctic, Vancouver and other cities just recede into these tiny, distant, unimportant places. With it's like ants are running around down there, and so I and I love that extreme, and then I love getting back into the crowds, like those two. And, and I'm I'm really happy surrounded by lots of people, lots of uh, and I because I love people, I love humanity despite everything. <laughs> um, I still love humanity, and I love being in in, in crowds. Um, of, 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 of people and, and loving people especially but um, and, and uh, so those extremes both make me happy amazing so it seems like there is always a balance involved you know balance what a, what a big word mm. well uh, I have to warn you guys that time has come we have to wrap this whole burrito up and uh, <laughs> it's actually time to go for lunch so all of you enjoy your lunch uh, this is Room Tone the radio show here we talk movies because we love it we have film personalities joining us here at Cop Radio on 100.5 FM and today why not we talked about Crazy AIDS, so why not wrap it up with the soundtrack of one of the most iconic films that really celebrate filmmaking and the process of it. So, uh, everybody, uh, thank you, Aaron Muslim and Stephen Kummer for coming for here in yeah. the booth. Thanks. It was Super a pleasure. Thank you so much. Let's enjoy the beauty of this soundtrack by Ennio Morricone by, uh, from the film Cinema Paradiso. Ciao, ciao.